Well, this morning I get to kick off a brand new teaching series that I am very excited about. And the series is titled The Jesus Way, Volume 2. And some of you are like, where did Volume 1 go? Okay. okay, if you're new here in the last two and a half years, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But the very first summer that Amber and I were here at our church, we preached the Jesus way. And I preached for an entire summer. And what was it? We preached through the book of Mark, the book of Mark. And, and we preached a whole summer and I only got through chapter seven. Okay. And so what we are doing is we are going to, I've been wanting to finish this from now until Easter, we are going to finish the book of Mark chapters eight through 16, which is beautiful because it ends with the resurrection, which is about time when we hit Easter Sunday morning. Uh, it's going to be so much fun. All right. But why am I entitling this the Jesus way? Because it's a gospel. We're going to talk about Jesus a lot. You're going to hear about the life of Jesus, who he is. But there's something that I know that's true of every single one of you, and it's found in Romans chapter 8. And this is God's desire for your life. You know what it is? That you would be conformed to the image of his son. That you would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Okay? And so I've got a big so what for this entire series. For the whole time, this is what we need to be understanding, and it's this. Spiritual maturity looks like Jesus. That's what spiritual maturity is. A lot of times we think it's other things like, oh, yeah, yeah, man, I, you know, I'm, I'm giving money, right? Or, or I'm reading my Bible. Those are good things. Those are good things. Like I, I, I go to church a lot. That's a good thing. These are all good things to think about. I know lots of Bible. Yep, those are good things. But spiritual maturity at its core is how much do we look like Jesus compared to yesterday? Like, am I growing? Am I looking more like him? Not like the world, not like everybody else, not even like me. Do I look more like Christ than I did yesterday? But what happens oftentimes in the church? Faith looks like this. We come to faith, right? And right away, all of a sudden, all this stuff changes. I change the way I talk. I change the way I think. I change all these kind of things. But suddenly, somewhere along the way, it might be a couple weeks, might be a couple months, might be a couple years, somewhere along the way, you know where we start looking? At each other. We start looking at each other. Well, compared to that guy, I'm doing fine, so I guess I'm okay. See, that's not who we're supposed to be comparing ourselves with. Like, how much do I, oh, I'm doing better than all you all. No, no, no. What do I look like compared to Christ? Because that's the goal. How do I look more like Jesus? And so my goal in this series is we look at Christ over and over and over again as we see what he values and what is important to us, that we would put aside some of our, our religious ideas of what spiritual maturity looks like, and we would say, God, who is it I'm supposed to be? Who are you calling me to be? Right? And that's the challenge for us as we go through this. So, so we're going to have to maintain a posture of surrender and humility before God because what we thought may not be who God is calling us to be, right? God, would you point us to be more like Christ? So this morning, I'm going to kick the series off by looking at a text. There's a really, really powerful uh, text, and it's going to ask a question. And I, I want to start with this is, what do you think greatness looks like? What do you think greatness looks like? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to your neighbor. I want you to tell them one person, and Jesus can't be your answer, okay? Okay, that's the, that's, that's, I know, that's a good answer. I'm gonna, you have to come up with another answer. Who embodies greatness to you? Anybody in history, somebody, go ahead and tell your neighbor who you think that is. I got a brown noser in the front row. She said, Greg Lins. I'm like, okay, okay. Let's clean that nose off, okay? <laughs> and it wasn't Amber. 
<laughs> we all know better than that. All right. So if you weren't being spiritual and didn't say Jesus, that's fine. So I don't know who you said. We all have a different idea of what greatness is. But when you think about our world, you think about people maybe who've, who've influenced or changed things. You know, in our, in our last 20 years, you know, I think about like a Steve Jobs who invented an iPhone. Literally has transformed how we relate in the world, right? Totally changing. You think about athletics and things. You think like a Michael Jordan, like the pinnacle of athlete. He is the greatness embodied when it comes to sports. Or you think of somebody who right now just financially, like a Elon Musk or, you know, all these guys who just have lots of money. Like they must have achieved greatness in some way. And, and even as a follower of Christ, to some extent, it feels like I don't even know if I should even be talking about that. Like, is that something I should even be trying to pursue? But as we look at the book of Mark, what we're going to see is that God absolutely wants us to pursue greatness. It just needs to be on his terms, okay? It has to be on, remember, this is his creation. This is his idea. So when it comes to these ideas, we need to be looking to him. What does he say, not what do I think? You know, and a lot of times I think we, we spend our lives and we find ourselves, you're going to get to the end of your life and you're, you're climbing this ladder, climbing this ladder. And at the end of your life, you may realize that you've been leaning your ladder against the wrong wall. You've gone the wrong direction. And so I, I think it's critical for us to evaluate, to say, okay, okay, God, you say it's okay to be great. All right, well, then what does that look like? And that's what we're going to dig into this morning. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, beginning in verse number 42. As you turn there in, our, in your Bibles, I uh, just want to, re to remind you that we kicked off our Bible reading plan last Sunday. Uh, if you missed out on that, it is not too late to jump in. Here's what we're doing this year. We're reading through the entire New Testament together. It takes like three minutes a day. That's it. It's less than a chapter on average a day to read through the whole scripture. So there is no one in this room who has an excuse that says, I don't have time for that, okay? You have the time. It's whether or not you're going to make time to actually do that, okay? And so here's the way that you can engage. There's two ways. Go to our website, zchurch.org, at the top of the page. There's a link that says reading plan. Click it. There's going to be a paper version, like PDF, where you can just kind of read the things. If you want to use paper, that's fine. But I would encourage everyone, whether or not you're reading paper or not, to, to also join one of the version reading groups. We have over 170 last week that signed up for one of those groups. It's a way that you can interact. Go to UVersion. Uh, you go on our website. You can find it. Just click the link. It'll take you to version. You join the group, and you'll get to interact with other people. But there's also a lot of videos that help you understand the scripture if you go through that reading plan. And it's super helpful for you, okay? So take part in that if you can, all right? Would you stand with me as we're going to read just a couple of verses here this morning? Mark chapter 10, beginning of verse 42, says this, Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths that you spoke so long ago. God, I pray that it would be more than just an exercise and listening to me talk for a little while. But Lord, I pray that this truth would dig its way into our hearts. And I, I do pray, God, that you would just break strongholds because this is so contrary to the way the world thinks. And so often it's contrary to the way that we think. So God, I pray that you would break that and mold us more into your image today. We pray that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. You can be seated. Before we dig into the text, uh, today I want to dig into the context. And first I want to give you context of the book of Mark. Obviously, we're going to be sitting in the book of Mark for several months here. And so I want you to understand what's going on in the book of Mark. First off is this, is that 
Mark is a gospel, all right? That's the type of uh, literature it is. And what are gospels? Gospels are historical theologies. They're not biographies, okay? So what does a biography do? Just, just accounts, accounts, accounts. They are giving accounts of historical things, but there is a, a motive behind that. They're trying to communicate some theology. And their biggest concern is not just how do I get every detail? It's how do I communicate who this Jesus is? That's the purpose of these writings, all right? And so Mark, who is Mark? Mark is John Mark. If you, re- you can read about him in the book of Acts, this John Mark, uh, he was not one of the 12 disciples. And you're like, well, how is he telling these stories about Jesus if he wasn't one of the 12 disciples with Jesus? Well, here's the reason. It's because he was a close, in close relationship with the apostle Paul, with Barnabas, and the apostle Peter, who walked with Jesus. And what most people think is that the book of Mark is most likely uh, John Mark's basically transcribing all of the stories that he heard from Peter himself. And so when you read the book of Mark, there isn't a lot of fluff in this thing. It's just like boom, 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 story, story, story. 42 times in the book, it says immediately. There's a sense of just like, it's going, it's going. It's like you're reading news headlines throughout the book of Mark. That's what takes place. Now, who's the audience that he's writing to? John Mark is writing to non-Jews. So they're not Jews and they're Gentiles, okay? And uh, these you'll see this take place throughout the book of Mark. Why? Because in some of the other gospels, the writers are writing to Jews. And you'll notice they give all this nuance and details about Jewish culture. In the book of Mark, they don't do that. In fact, when he gets to Jewish culture, he explains what it means. Why? Because these aren't Jews. They have no idea, which is really helpful for us. He's going to explain something, explain some stuff to us every once in a while. Okay. It's going to be great. Okay. And so in here, we've got uh, another thing you have to understand is that the Christians are not just any old Christians, these Christians are experienced deep persecu- persecution, okay? You know who's in charge at this period of time? It's around 60 AD. It is uh, Nero. He's the emperor. And what is this Nero doing? If you've ever read the histories, how many of you have ever heard of Nero before? You raise your hand. Some of you know who Nero is. Okay, he was the emperor at the time. He's, first off, the guy was just nuts. He was crazy. But secondly, he was horrible to the Christians, killing them. And you can read the stories of how they persecuted Christians. It was just horrible. It's disgusting, the stuff they used to do to these people, okay? And so John Mark is writing a letter to these types of believers. Like, they're experiencing a lot of pain. And you'll see throughout the book of Mark, you'll see him just see Jesus or express Jesus as this suffering servant king, because he is one who can resonate with what they are experiencing. And I think it's something that every one of us need to understand, because maybe you walked in this morning and you're carrying some heavy stuff, we don't have a God who doesn't understand. We have a God who's walked through the pain. He understands pain in a deep way, and he can resonate with you in your heart, okay? So we get to the passage I just read, and I just say this is kind of the theme for the gospel. Most writers would say this is the core text, these few verses that we just read together. But I want you to give some context to the story of how do we get to Jesus saying these words. And what we see in, in a verses like 32 through 34, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, guys, I'm going to die. He's telling them, I'm going to die. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be handed over all this kind of things. This is the third time in the book of Mark that he's telling them this thing. And you would think in this moment, right, the disciples are like, oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm so sad. You think that would be happening. But this interaction happens immediately. What's the first thing that happens? Then James and John, verse number 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Sometimes my kids say that, right? They're like, Dad, I want you to do whatever I ask. I'm like, I ain't saying yes till you ask me, okay? And he goes to him, he says, I want you to do whatever. And so Jesus says, well, what do you want me to do for you? And verse 37 says this. 
that, or yeah, uh, let one of us sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your glory. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, are you kidding me, guys? Like, I just told you that I'm going to die, right? And you're worried about where you're going to sit, okay? Get over yourself. You're not that important, right? But, but this isn't how Jesus responds to me. What we see happen over and over again uh, is Jesus, or the disciples, they totally miss out on what Jesus is really doing. Because he's talking about this kingdom, like the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God more than anything else, okay? But, but their view of that was a very earthly view. They thought when Jesus said the kingdom of God was coming, that that meant that they were going to be a part of this thing, and Jesus is going to take control, and he's going to vanquish all the enemies on earth and set up this earthly kingdom, and they're going to be a part of it. So they're thinking to themselves, oh, I got an idea. Let's, let's see if we can get in on this. If I could be on his right hand right now when he's still kind of not a big deal, then, man, it's going to be huge. It's like I could buy Bitcoin in 2010. It'll be huge. It's going to be amazing, right? That's what they're thinking. But that's not exactly what Jesus is thinking. You get to verse number 38. This is Jesus' response. He says, you don't know what you're asking. So I love it. Jesus is basically saying, you're clueless, <laughs> which I, I feel comforted by that because how many of you ever feel clueless when you're trying to, to live out your faith? I do sometimes. I read what Jesus says. I'm like, I, I'm struggling, Jesus. What are you saying here, right? It's okay. And, and what I love about the heart of God is he's patient with us. He doesn't say, oh, you fools. No, he says, okay, okay, guys, let's talk through this one more time. He brings him in. He says, all right, you guys come together. And it says this in verse number 42. It says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus is saying, listen, this is what you're used to. Like, this is what you think is normal. You think that if you're at my right hand, then you're going to get to be the stuff on top, right? Because that's how the world operates. That's what the world is doing. They are always trying to fight to get on top. Because when you're on top, everyone exists for you, right? It's all about you. You're the one that gets served. You're the one that gets cared for. It's all about you. And honestly, for many of us, that sounds kind of good, <laughs> Like when we live the way the world does, that sounds nice to think like, man, everybody's serving me. Like maybe I'm the only carnal person in the room. But sometimes I think about a picture like this one and I just think, man, oh, I just want to sit right there right now, don't I? I want to sit there. I want people to just serve me, like give me things and bring me things and all this. And that would be amazing. And in our world, a lot of people would think that that is greatness. Like when you can achieve the point where everybody's taking care of you, that would be awesome. And Jesus said, you're right. In this world, that is how it works. But that's not my kingdom. Like you're not living in my kingdom. So we get to verse number 43 and says this. Not so with you. Not so with you. You see, there's a, a lot of us that we say we want to follow Jesus. And then we want to live like everyone else still, though. We want to do things like everybody else does. And we're a little distant. Why can't I do that? Well, you can. Jesus said, you can do that. That is your choice. You just can't do that and follow me. So at the end, you get to do that. But you know where that road leads. Like that wide road that seems really easy that everybody else takes, and you have every right to take that road. Go for it if you want to. Just know this, that in the end, it leads to destruction. Like that's where it's going to take you. So that's fine. You get to do that. But if you want to follow me, like you have to draw a line in the sand at some point and say, okay, not so with you. Like you're going to call yourself a follower of Christ? Great. Then there's some things you don't get to do anymore. And that's what he's about to talk to us. There are requirements. You say, oh, I don't want to do that. Great. You don't have to. But you want to submit to Christ? 
You want to experience the Zoe life he has for you? You want eternity with him? You want to experience the fullness of what you were designed for? It is only found in submission to his authority. Submitting your life to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes following Jesus is going to be inconvenient. And sometimes following him is going to be one of those moments where not so with you kind of moments. And we have to say, okay, who's going to be king in this moment? Okay? And so... uh, we, we uh, look at the next kind of section. It says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Now we, you know, in the church, we understand that principle, like lay ourselves down. We kind of, we understand all of that. But you can't understand how revolutionary this statement was at this particular time. Why do we think it's normal? Why? Because we live in a post-Jesus world. A post-Jesus world. There has been elements of this existing. It's like a conversation. I've, this, I've had this conversation with a few atheists in, the, atheists in the past, and I've had this you know, just conversation in my own head, reading some books from different atheists, because there will be this idea out there of something called atheistic morality, right? Is that we don't need Christianity to be moral people. We can have morality without, athe- without God. That's not necessary. And I say, okay, but the people who profess that, the only reason they can say that is because they were raised in cultures that are indoctrinated with Judeo-Christian morality. Like, that's the only reason they say that. Like, Because if you play out purely atheistic ideals, it actually will not result in a morality that you and I would understand or recognize. Okay? You can only say that because you are totally entrenched in it. Okay? And the same is true. In this culture, Like we look at it and you're like, oh yeah, greatness is kind of lay yourself down. That kind of makes sense to us. We get that because we live in a world after Jesus. And there are Christians. You have examples in your life of people who have lived this way and lived out greatness as God would say, not as man would say. But at this point in time, nobody lived that way. If you wanted to be on top, you wanted to be there because that meant everybody served you. It's all about you. And he's saying, that's not how it works in my kingdom. You can't live that way. And so I want to get to our big so what. And we always say this, so what? What's the point of this thing? If you forget everything else I've shared this morning, this is critical. It's this. Greatness is a posture, not a position. Greatness is a posture, not a position. What do I mean? We try to achieve positions or titles or statuses, you know, whatever those things. We try to achieve those things because we think that that equals greatness, right? If I could just get to this place in my life or achieve this thing or do this thing, whatever, people would see me, then I've experienced greatness. And it does in this world. You're right. In a lot of ways, when you get to that level, like, okay, yeah, everybody, everybody sees me as great. Now that's fine. But the problem is that our allegiance isn't to this kingdom. And at the end of our lives, the question is, are we leaning our ladder against the right wall? Position does not equal greatness in the kingdom of God. Greatness is found only in the posture of your heart. Greatness can be found in slums. And greatness can be found in corner offices. Why? Because it has nothing to do with your position. It's not. Now, I think for most of us, this should be incredibly freeing. Why do I say that? Well, I, uh, I'm going to give myself, I'm approaching middle age. <laughs> say that, approaching. And I'm going to be approaching it for a long time, folks, just letting you know that. Now, I turned 40 on March 1st, so I'm like six weeks till I turn 40. <laughs> okay? But here's the deal. Because I'm approaching 
I'm approaching middle age. A lot of people around me definitely are middle-aged, okay? They're way older than I am. Um, but here's what I see can happen in people of their vintage, <laughs> their age, um, is that, that you get to this place where you start to analyze. You know, you heard midlife crisis kind of moment. A lot of guys will have that. Why? What happens? You get to like the center of your life and you're suddenly you're like, and what have I done with my life? Have I achieved like the greatness that I thought? Have I, I'm, and a lot of guys look at their lives and they'll just say, man, I, I haven't got where I thought I'd be. Like, I'm, I'm not here. I was wishing I would be there. I'm not there. And then sometimes even worse to throw a little salt in the wound. Like, oh, I haven't achieved it. But then this l- young little whippersnapper who's like 22 is now doing this thing, you know, and like whatever. And it's just crazy. They're laughing because I used whippersnapper. <laughs> I, think, I think that means I'm old. <laughs> you all shut up. <laughs> done with you, right? But, but we get to this place where we think, I don't know if I've achieved it. Can I still achieve greatness? And it can feel like a heavy burden, especially I know I'm talking to the men right now because I know the men feel it a lot of times. Some of you women feel the same thing. This burden, like, have I made it yet? Like, is this all? And I think for some of us, we get to the place where like, I don't think I'm going to have enough to make it. Like, I'm not going to be great the way that I perceived. And this should relieve you. This should set you free today is that you absolutely can embody greatness. You can be everything that God wants for you. It just doesn't look like the world does. Because here's the freedom. Greatness, it doesn't demand money. It doesn't demand fame. It doesn't demand influence. It doesn't demand the right family or the right education or the right background or the right relationships or the right career or the right clothes or the right house or the right car or whatever it is you think greatness is. Greatness is in God's kingdom just takes a heart that says, it's not about me. It's a heart that says, I'm here to be a servant. And I have seen greatness in people who have large means and large amounts of influence and affluence and those things. I've seen greatness embodied there. How have I seen that? Because they understand that all this stuff isn't for me. My calling as a follower of Christ is to serve. It's to leverage whatever God has given me, to leverage it for the sake of the other and for the sake of his kingdom. That's what greatness looks like. See, some of you are in the room and you're like, you are the CEO. You are the one. It doesn't mean, oh, I have to give that all up. No, it says I need to use it differently. I'm no longer leveraging it for me. I'm leveraging it for the other. That's what it means to be a servant. And I've seen greatness in people of very low influence and very low means. Because rather than sitting there and saying, well, woe is me. I don't have anything. I don't have what they have. I don't have the money like they got or the influence or people don't know me. Rather than saying that, they say, God, help me to be faithful with what I do have. And they are people of greatness in the kingdom of God. In the fullness of eternity will reveal those moments. Those people, those names that we don't even know. The people we don't even know. They're serving in some corner of the world and they are the greatest in the kingdom of God. We don't even realize it. Why? Because they said, it's not about some position I can hold. It's a heart that says, God, I'm yours Help me to serve, okay? Greatness is a posture, not a position. So I want to close here for a moment, and I just want to give you some very practical thoughts. Ways, how do we live this thing out? What does this look like in our lives? So I want to talk about you and your job. Uh, Many of you, I'm sure, have a job or career in some way. And wherever you're at, some of you are like at the bottom of the pyramid somewhere, some of you at the top of the pyramid, some of you are in the middle somewhere. The question is, not how do I leverage my position for my benefit. It's how do I leverage it for the benefit of everyone underneath of me. 
See, some of you are the CEO, you are the president, you are the leader on top. And a, a follower of Christ doesn't say, how do all these people serve my needs? Now there's a practical, of course they're gonna do roles that they've done, but the mindset and the heart of a follower of Christ says, how do I leverage all of the authority that I have for the benefit of these people? How do I serve them? How do I care for them? How do I love them? That's what a follower of Christ looks. It's totally upside down. That's not how the world normally thinks, but that's what a follower of Jesus, because not so with you. We don't do things like everybody else does. We do it different. Okay, I think about some of you as students. You're in school, right? You've got a reputation at school. And you're like, maybe people like you and, and, and love you and they think you're awesome and that's great. And that's great. It isn't like, hey, screw up your, your reputation so that way you can serve people. No, how are you leveraging your reputation for the sake of another? Like if you're the kid that, that everybody loves, well, what about the kid that nobody pays attention to? Are you leveraging your influence for the sake of that person? Are you serving them? Are you leveraging the influence that you have so that you can see other people know Christ? Are you leveraging what God has given you? That's what a servant does. It's not about building my kingdom, it's about his. Very practically, we think about things like our money. Our money, we're talking about kingdom builders. How do I leverage what God has given me, not for me that all roads lead to me, but instead, how do I leverage it for his kingdom and to invest in things that matter when it comes to our time, when it comes to our energy? You know, a lot of times people are like, I just not got the energy for that. And that's good. Jesus took times where he stepped away. But if that's the only habit of your life, the only pattern is like, I don't get involved. I don't get involved. Listen, God may be saying, no, you need to leverage some of your energy for the sake of another. Right? Like, stop thinking about you. Is it going to be inconvenient? Yep. Is it going to cost you something? Yep. That's what servants do. They're here for somebody else. They're not about their own needs. Okay? I even think about Amber and I here, you know, we are the lead pastors here of this church, this congregation. Do you know what our chief title is? Servant. We are the lead servant. Our, our job here is not to say, how do, how do all y'all people take care of our needs? No, it's how do we serve you and care for you? How do we lay our lives down for you? To, to, to come under you and support you and lift you up. That's our calling. And if we ever lose sight of that, we have totally missed what ministry is about, okay? And I even talk about just practically speaking, for, for the married couples in the room, I just want to talk to you for a moment. I talked about this principle about a, uh, nine months ago in our marriage series. But this principle has to work its way out in marriages. Because very easily, what do we do? We have the same mindset that everybody else does, that when I come to the marriage, I'm here thinking about, what about me? What about my needs? Are you meeting my needs? Are you doing what I want? And a lot of us, we're fr you might be frustrated in your marriage. You're frustrated by things. But my guess is when you're frustrated, the only person you're thinking about is you. God's saying, no, you want to be a servant? You, not so with you. You don't get to do it like everybody else does, okay? If you want to be a follower of Christ, how do you lay your rights down? How do you surrender yourself to care for the other, to prefer the other, to leverage whatever you have, your time, your energy, your money, everything you got? How do I leverage this for the sake of the other? That's what it looks like to have a Christ-centered marriage. And it's the challenge. It is a hard challenge, but it is a challenge for every one of us because it so flies in the face. And some of you are saying, this is ridiculous, Greg. Why would anybody do this? <laughs> it's hard work, right? And they're going to abuse you sometimes. They're going to take advantage of you. Yeah, they are. You're right. Okay? Why would we do this? The reason we do this is because this is exactly what Christ did for us. Amen. What does verse 45 say? For even the Son of Man did not come. Even Jesus came not to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. 
That's what Jesus, that's the hope of the gospel, is that we who are stuck in our sin, who could do nothing for ourselves, the God of the universe gave all, he had every position, every title, King of kings, Lord of lords. But rather than leveraging that for himself, he said, how can I leverage that power for the sake of us? for us broken, lost people. And that's the good news of the God. Why do we come and we sing? Why do we celebrate? Why do we have joy in our hearts? Because we were lost and now we're found. We were dead and now we're alive. And God has done that on our behalf. That's the good news of the gospel, all right? And so the call for us as followers of Christ is not how can we be good church people and try to be nice to each other? No, how do we look more like our Savior who gave up everything us. God, make us look more like you. I want that for us. But even if you don't want it for yourself, I want it for my life. I want it for, I want my ladder leaned up against the right wall. I learned a long time ago when I, you know, when I was younger, I was, I was, I was never the tallest, (laughs) never the strongest, uh, certainly never the best looking. I was, I was never the, you know, smartest. I was never any of these things, right? You know, I, you know me, I'm the introvert. I was never the most socially, like, just killing it out there. Just, hey, what's going on, everybody? Bing, bing, bing. You know? <laughs> like, that's not who I am. And, and in the world's eyes, I, it's very easy to think, well, how could I ever, how could I succeed? How could I be of greatness, you know? Some of you know what, what it's like. When you're, when you're the introvert, as I am, it's very easy to walk into rooms and feel like I, I, I don't feel always as seen because I feel, you know, it's a struggle. Socially, it can be challenging at times, and you feel forgotten at times. I always voice those things because half the room feels it but is too insecure to talk about it, so I'll just say it myself. Because some of you walk in on Sunday mornings, and that's how you feel. You feel like you're just kind of there, and nobody notices you. And it's very easy when you have those feelings and those thoughts in your mind to think, well, how could I ever be great? Good news. You can't. At the end of my life, I don't, um, you know, God forbid I, I die before Amber does. You know, at my funeral, I hope that Amber says something like, man, he was, he did some stupid things sometimes. and He didn't get everything right, but he was a servant. Like, he served me. I hope my kids, I don't care, like, their dad, he did dumb stuff, and he was awkward sometimes and embarrassed us, but he was a servant. And one day, I'm going to stand before my maker And there's one thing I want to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. I don't get get everything right. None of us are going to get everything right. But God, give us hearts after you. Hearts that say, I'm not building my kingdom. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I'm not trying to be great in the eyes of the world, God. I want to be great before the one who gave his life for me. And one day I'm going to be singing your praises and I pray that I would join all of creation, every voice, every tribe, every tongue, singing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty because this thing is not about me. It's about you and about your kingdom. And my prayer for us is that we would be that kind of a church and we would be those kind of people and we need God's spirit over and over again convicting us because the world's heading that way and God's calling us this way. But I believe we can day after day be shaped and molded in the image of Christ as we continually are obedient to his word. God, would you do that to us? Would you do that in us? Would you do that through us? God, break us, we pray. I'm gonna invite you to stand with me across the room. So I just wanna pray together as we respond. Would you join me in praying? God, we thank you so much. 
We thank you so much that you did what we don't deserve. God, you lowered yourself for our benefit. You leveraged everything for our benefit. God, we need you. We need your help because living that way can be really, really hard because we want to live for ourselves. And so, God, we depend on the, on the scripture that says that you are going to put a new heart in us. You're going to write your will on our hearts. And so we ask right now that you would do that. You would shape our hearts as we submit to you by the power of your spirit. Would you do a transformative work in us? God, would our minds be transformed by the renewing uh, of our minds through your word? God, may your truth come alive in our minds. May it come alive in our hearts. May you do something in us, Lord, that we could truly live differently, God. God, I pray that we would be those kind of servants, that you would say, well done, well done. Did you make a name for yourself? Maybe not. Did you start a big company? Maybe not. You got a million followers on Instagram? Maybe not. But in my kingdom, you are great. God, I pray may that be the words that we hear. May that be the the desire that we hear, that we would hear your voice speak, well done. Would you do that in us, Lord? And I pray right now for any affections that are inappropriate in our lives. God, any things that we love more than you, any things that we want to pursue more than your kingdom, God, I pray that you would reveal those to us, shine a light on them, and Father, that we would repent of those things. That first and foremost, it's about you, not about us, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want us to respond here for a moment and just to have a moment of singing. There's a song we sang earlier. I just love it. It's Christ Be Magnified. It's one of my favorite songs. Singing it all the time. And um, can we just sing that? And just for, on your own, you may need to have a moment of prayer before God. You may need to repent for a moment before God and say, God, would you, would you forgive some things? I need to turn from some things. But let's just, let's sing this if you would, Steph, and just lead us in this song as we worship a bit. Jesus. You know, Christ be magnified, let his praise arise, Christ be magnified in me, oh, Christ be magnified from the altar of my life, Christ be magnified, let's sing it again, oh, Father, we surrender all that we are. Now we come to you. So often in a world that thinks, God, we want to come and just get stuff. God, I pray that we would come to give. We would come to bring ourselves to you. And in return, we get the stuff we could never buy. Life and life everlasting, Lord. And so God, I I pray this week you would help us to live this out. God, I pray this isn't just a theological idea, but this week we would look more like Jesus than we did last week. Because we wake up in the morning saying, how can I serve my spouse? We wake up in the morning saying, how can I serve those underneath of me? God, how can I love and leverage everything I have for the sake of another? 
God, help us this week, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 As we close, I want to give a challenge to you. A uh, very simple challenge, and it has to do with what we talked about earlier. I want, you to, I want you to take this card. Here's my prayer. Some of you need to pray, God, do I need to take the step of centering my finances around you just through the tithe? But for some of you that are there already, to begin to pray, God, how can I begin to engage? What do you want of me? Would you take this card and prayerfully ask for God to speak to your heart and be ready to respond in the coming weeks? Uh, as we wrap up, I want to invite our prayer team forward. There's some of you that came in, you're carrying something heavy. You need somebody to pray with you. Please do not head that way. Pray that you would head this way. Allow them to pray with you, to minister to you. Otherwise, you guys have a great week. We love you. We'll see you back next Sunday. Have a great week, guys.